Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? How fast, how easily so many of us can get thrown into some version of I'm not blank enough. Some of us have I'm too much, but many of us have I'm not blank enough enough. So let me give you an example. I got a bill the other day from the city of Los Angeles. I don't live in the city of Los Angeles. And I have a client who is in the city of Los Angeles, actually the port of Los Angeles. And when you have a client that's in the city of LA, whether you live there or not, you get to pay taxes to the city of Los Angeles. And the bill was for $2,300. I was entirely sure that is not what I owed. But it also came on top of another bill that I got from the California Franchise Tax Board. See, here's all the great things about living in the state of California. We have fabulous weather and we get to pay a lot of money. And that bill I did owe and included in that bill from the California Franchise Tax Board were penalties and fees because I had been naughty. I had been very late in paying something. The thing was, in my opinion, it should have been the job of my accountant to say to me, hey, you need to pay these things and you need to make sure that you've got enough money tucked away because I'm doing all the things that I'm doing, making the world of work be one in which everyone can thrive. I'm not paying attention to when I have to pay $800 to the California Franchise Tax Board in order to have a business in the state of California. And then I got this other thing from the city of Los Angeles, and it immediately threw me into a, I am not a good business owner. Like, I know I'm a good consultant. I know I'm good at the things that I do, but I got into this whole thing about I am not a good business owner. And it took me out for like a couple of hours until finally I decided to get out of my little pity party and reached out to a friend who I knew would pull me back, which she did. And it's so common, especially now with all that we've all been going through over the last two and a half years, I still often give this example that it used to be that like baseline for many of us was maybe sort of in the middle of your chest and something would happen and your baseline would get elevated and then you'd return back to where you were. But for so many of us now, baseline is like in the middle of our forehead. 
and something happens and we are immediately underwater. Which brings me right to my guest for today. Scott Shute, he's on a mission. So I am on a mission to have the world of work be one in which everyone can thrive. He is on a mission to change work from the inside out. How great is that, y'all? He is an award-winning author and a former executive at LinkedIn. So he's sort of living at the intersection of workplace and ancient wisdom. And he blends his experience as a Silicon Valley executive with his lifelong practice and passion as a wisdom seeker and a teacher. When he was at LinkedIn, he was the head of mindfulness and compassion programs. And I just have to say, an organization like LinkedIn has someone who is the head of mindfulness and compassion programs. I love that. And it's still very uncommon. Scott has been a pioneer in workplace mindfulness programs and in advancing discussion around compassion in the context of work. He's the author of an award-winning book called The Full Body Yes, and he also has a great TED Talk about all of us continuing to move through COVID and all of the challenges that we've all been presented with. So with all of that, welcome to the show, Scott. Hey, thanks very much. Glad to be here. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm thrilled to have you. My pleasure. So Scott, as I begin most of our episodes, what is something that you have become aware of that people are not paying enough attention to, either consciously or unconsciously? And what is the cost of that sure. attention? Sure. It's almost like we're not paying attention to very much at all. <laughs> so you could put most things in that bucket, right? It is it, unfortunately it, true. We're paying attention to Game of Thrones and the next version <laughs> and all the content and the news and the sports. So what we're not paying attention to is each other. How many times are we really looking into each other's eyes and taking time to calm down and mm. actually be aware of another person, of how, mm. how they're feeling, how they are? I think that oftentimes we're not aware of ourselves. We're not paying attention to ourselves, which means we're not paying attention to other people. And then what's the follow-up? What's the cost of that? Wow. I think it's our happiness. It's our sanity. It's our level of fulfillment in life. So it's interesting, actually, do this for a second. Don't answer out loud, but think about what makes you happy for everyone. Now, it turns out there's some interesting research after a certain base level. The act of being fully present is twice as big a factor in your happiness as the thing you just thought of. So, Which makes sense, right? Yeah. Think about your hobbies. We love our hobbies so much because we get lost in them. We're fully present when we're whatever, knitting or crocheting or mountain biking or golfing or whatever. We're fully present. And that's partly why we love our hobbies so much is because we're right there. We're not thinking about work or the time we got bullied in high school or whatever. And so going back, it's like, how often are we paying attention to ourselves, being fully present with ourselves and therefore then being fully present with our loved ones or anybody around us? And so let's make the connection then between that and how infrequently we are fully present and what's happening now in the world of work. There've been all of these articles recently about people quiet quitting, 
people not being fully engaged at work. I mean, there have been articles for decades about how many people are fully engaged at work and sort of the opportunities to get more people be more engaged at work. So when you think about this sort of perfect storm, when we're neither fully engaged in our lives and then not surprisingly, not also fully engaged at work, what are some opportunities for us to get more grounded and more present? It's easy to point out all the broken things. Let's not do that. (laughs) Everybody can figure that out. We live it, right? Right. Let's talk about, okay, what do we do? Both for our personal lives and at work, I think it starts with purpose. If someone is at work and they don't know why they're there, they're not connecting the dots to the role, why their life is important, that's the problem. And so for me at work, it starts with the leader of an organization or a leader of the team declaring what the mission and vision of the company. Here's how we make a difference in the world. And so then if I start to break it down, then at the team level, we can have a conversation about, okay, well, how does our marketing or accounting or engineering or HR team, how do we help make that difference in the world? Because what we're really after is at the individual level, what does the work I do? How does that connect to making the world a better place? One of the most frightening statistics to me, this is from the CDC. They do a poll almost daily. About a third of us in America in any given week suffer from symptoms of anxiety or depression, but even more scary, one in nine, 11% in the last 30 days seriously considered taking their own life. That cuts across genders and class and everything. It's all of us, one in nine. So for me, it starts with purpose. If somebody is just grinding, if they feel like, oh, I'm just a cog in the wheel, then they start to feel not great. They start to feel like my work doesn't matter, which means my life doesn't matter which means the opposite is true. If I know why I'm there, if I know how I'm making a difference or my, then my life has meaning, my work has meaning. And there's something interesting. Like some people will say, oh, it's easy to say for a doctor or a nurse who's saving lives or a teacher who's the next generation of learners. But my counter to that is every one of our role. I'll give you an example. My friend, we'll call her Connie. She does technical services for a company who makes parts that go into systems that go into bigger systems that get sold into medical equipment or something, industrial equipment. This is like the least sexy type of industry <laughs> if we had to make one up. Nothing against what she does. It's just sure. like, if you start to think, well, how am I changing? How am I making the world a better place? Right. But Connie's thing is, remember, she does technical support. She's like, look, my mission is that every day I deal with 30 to 60 people, right? And they're not calling to tell me how much they love our company. (laughs) My mission is that for every one of those people, I want them to walk away feeling like the interaction they had with me was the best thing that happened to them that day. That's awesome. That's something every one of us could choose to do. Love that. And one of the episodes on the podcast, which will be being released before our podcast episode is being released, I think it's being released the end of October, And it's with a gentleman whose name is Jay Steinfeld. And he was the founder of blinds.com, which became the biggest blinds company providing coverings for our windows in the United States. And he went through a personal tragedy. His wife passed away and it put him into a period of self-reflection And he realized the way that he was running his company and showing up at work, and he admits he was 
pretty much an asshole and he was a tyrant. And like if people didn't do something 100 percent of the way he wanted it done, he yelled at them. And he realized, like, that's not who he wanted to be. That's not how he wanted to show up. And so he changed the mission of the company so that it became to have its people be the best version of themselves Mm. that they could be. The difference between that versus if the CEO is on stage virtually or whatever, talking about how much money we're going to make this year. Right. At the end of the, it's fun. Like it's fun to be on a winning team for a while, as long as the team is winning. As long as the team is winning. But it's not very satisfying. Like who cares if our company made a hundred million or a billion or 10 billion or like who really cares? Right. And what difference does that really make? Again, it goes back to purpose. It starts with purpose. If we're kind of laying the groundwork for what can we do? By example, I'm working right now with a trash company. So Uh they're the guys who come out in the morning and pick up your trash. Yeah, pretty sexy job. And we're having a whole conversation about, okay, so what is really the mission of your company? And it's a family-owned business, three generations now of this family running this business. And they care a lot about the environment and they care a lot about their people. And so we are in the process of redoing their mission and vision and values. Mm. Then we're taking it the next step to work with all of their employees, about 400 employees on, okay, so this is the organization's mission. What's my mission? What are my values? And how do they connect into that? Because as that's part of how we get people really excited about coming to work is when they really get to feel great about, I'm at an environmental services company. I'm not at a trash company. I'm at a company that is working to take the resources that we are generating. And you and I live in California. We are now on a big kick to recycle food waste and to turn that back into energy. It's part of the energy independence movement. And so When you can think of yourself as part of that, as opposed to a company that picks up trash, it's a totally different frame. That's right. And all of these are personal choices. I mean, certainly it can be helped with the environment, but it's a personal choice. Here's another one. I like to think about and point out how essentially we are mammals. Yes. We as humans are mammals first. And we see it, the easiest example is like our fight or flight systems. We get triggered by something that happens and oh, we're angry and we're in this phase. We're ready to kill something or ready to run. Our our bodies are flooded with cortisol and adrenaline. And it's because our amygdalas, these two little almond shaped clusters in our brains are looking always in our life for what might be dangerous. Now we evolved this way. That was awesome when we were living out on the savanna and we need to protect (laughs) ourselves, but we are not evolved to the point to handle our modern life. So we end up getting angry or frustrated or flustered or whatever. Now it's easier to see on the physical side, the counterbalance to that is, okay, you take a deep breath or you meditate or you go for a walk. And we've all heard this kind of stuff, but it works with our minds as well. And what I mean by that is those amygdalas are always looking for what is wrong. They're not looking for what's right in no. our life. They're looking for what's wrong because right. they're trying to keep us alive. Right. They're Here's trying to keep thing. us safe. Here's the thing. Alive is a pretty low bar, <laughs> right? I mean, yes, we have evolved to stay alive. But yes. is anybody satisfied Wahoo. with just alive? 
So I call this pothole management. So if you think mm. about it like this, there can be a thousand miles of perfect road. The life, our life is like this. Yes. A thousand miles of perfect road. And there's one pothole. And this is where we spend 99% of our mental capacity is thinking about that one pothole. It happens in our relationships. If you think about <laughs> your mother or your kid or your spouse or whatever, it's like, oh my God, it drives me. Blah, blah, blah. When we do that one thing, we don't think about the 99 things that we love them for. We think about the one thing they do over and over that makes us crazy. Or we think about it in our performance reviews at work. We can get a performance review every six months or a year, five pages of amazing things I did last quarter, three bullets of things I might want to look at for next time. And I fixate on the three bullets. Like All I'm you're going to focus on yeah. right, is those three bullets. And so the first step for any of this is to realize I'm a mammal. I'm finely tuned over millions of years, not just the X years I'm alive. Millions of years of evolution have finely tuned my negativity bias. So the first step is to realize it and go, okay, well, I'm trying to be an evolved human. What an evolved, so the first question what would is, an evolved human do? Yeah, here? <laughs> what would an evolved human be? It's to ask ourselves, all right, what else is true? If I'm love if that I'm, question. Because if we think about our spouse or whatever, our kid or our boss, it's like, well, what else is true? We have a long list of things that are great, but we tend to fixate on what's broken. And so what are we not paying attention to? We're not paying attention to the 999 miles of perfect road in our life. The news is exactly a millionth of a percent of what's wrong. The news yeah. is our collective amygdala. Right. <laughs> this is not reality. It's not the reality. It's a tiny portion of reality. So it's really depressing to look at the news. The counterbalance is uh, what else is true? Well, what else is true is there's a lot of people who are not at war, <laughs> right? There's a lot of people who have clean water to drink and they're safe and they're happy. And there's birthday parties and weddings and good stuff happening today, just like all this other nonsense is happening. And the thing is, I'm not saying to ignore the pothole, especially at work. We get paid to fix the pothole, but let's not spend 99% of our lives fixated on what's wrong. Let's also take time to celebrate what's actually going well. I love that. And so much of, I believe, and I'm getting very clear, you believe as well, how our life goes is our mindset. There's this idea that we are all supposed to be striving to be happy. And personally, I kind of feel like that's a nonsensical idea. I mean, just everybody sitting around being happy and singing Kumbaya, like that's just, that's, we're just not getting very much done in that sort of a world. <laughs> like I want to be challenged. I want to be fulfilled. I want to be engaged. I want to be empowering other people. I don't want to just be Happy. Happy for me is a passive kind mm. of thing. Joy, that for me feels much more yeah. active. I prefer the word joy. Yeah. Because I do believe joy comes from the inside out. And so much of it is about what we choose to focus on. That's right. And whether or not we're going to focus on the pothole or whether we're going to focus on the 999 other great miles yeah. that we got to travel. I remember I was on this amazing trip, probably close to a decade ago now, with one of my very best friends. And we were in Kauai, 
and we were on this incredibly bumpy road, unpaved road, and we're just bouncing all over the place. And we're laughing because it's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there are potholes as big as the car. The and whole so, road was like, potholes. Exactly. <laughs> and so sort of the only thing to do was laugh. And yeah. then I said, the only thing that would make this worse slash better is if there were another car behind me trying to get me to move faster. <laughs> and at that moment, <laughs> another <they> car <laughs> appeared behind me. And there was no place to go in the road. The road was entirely big enough for one automobile. Yeah. And so we just laughed even harder. And that's one of those situations where we could have been entirely on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. We could have been pissed. We that's could have right. been worried about what was going to be happening to the suspension of the car. This was a rent-a-car, right. of course. So like, am I going to end up having to pay of dollars for a new suspension for this car? I'm on an unpaved road, probably not where I'm supposed to be anyway. And instead, we found joy and we found happiness because of where we decided to put ourselves. That's right. Our it's a choice. It. One of my yeah. favorite quotes is from Mark Twain, the humorist from the 19th century. He says, well, I won't put on the fake accent. He says, <laughs> I've lived through some terrible things in my life. And some of them actually happened. <laughs> I love that. Right? Well, I used to play more golf. My son was on the high school golf team when okay. he was in high school. And so we played more and I discovered that it was important for me to keep score in a different way. <laughs> so here's the thing. Like, I'm an okay golfer. I think no matter how good you are at golf, there's times when you hit shots that are just terrible, insanely bad, <laughs> like you've never played before bad. And I would find myself being super frustrated, super pissed off playing golf. And I stopped. I'm like, wait a minute. What is happening here? Like, this is a Sunday afternoon. I'm out with my son or my buddies. We paid a lot of money to be here. We're out here to have Supposedly fun. having fun. Right. The entire purpose of this activity is to have fun, right? Yeah. And here I am being super mad. Yeah. About <laughs> and so like, I thought that is very strange. Okay. Well, what is causing all this anger? Well, it's the denial of my expectation. I feel like I should be playing so much better, but like, am I really practicing that much? Or do I deserve to play like a pro golfer? Every right. shot of every game. <laughs> and so instead, I tried to have this different scoring system, which is like the smiley face system. Uh -huh. Have you ever seen in the airport, there's a little machine. It has three or four buttons. There's green smiley face and yellow middle face and like red frowny face. Oh, yeah. yeah. If they want to know what your experience is like right. with the toilet or with whatever. Or at the doctor's can, office or yeah. how are you feeling? Yes, yeah. On the you spectrum. can just push yes. a button. I'm like, <laughs> keep it simple. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to keep score this way. And the score is not how many strokes it took to finish the hole. The score is, am I happy? Joyful. My goal playing golf is I want at least 16 out of 18 holes to be smiley faces. I'll give myself two yellow faces like as a buffer. <laughs> <laughs> and how did it work? It works great because if you're scoring like that, you're sitting on the tee. And if I shank one, I laugh at everybody because I know I tell people <laughs> my buddies know this and they're like, oh, red frowny face. I'm not look, see, right. I'm still smiling. Yeah. I'm just, I take a mulligan. I'll hit it again. And whatever, like, if that's your goal, then I approach the game and it's a game. Right. I approach the game in a totally different way than if I'm trying to shoot an 
85 or 92 or whatever it is. I love that perspective. And I have played golf like seven times in my life. Surprisingly, (laughs) I'm not particularly good at it. But one of the things that I love about golf is this idea of a mulligan, a do-over. And how many times in life would it be really great if we just said, all right, I'm going to take a mulligan on that. I'm going to do that again. I didn't say that the way that I wanted to. I had a mindset that was not productive in this conversation. I want to do this over again. And it's one of the things I'm working with very large organization right now. And their leadership team came together during COVID and they've never met person. Right. Right. A year later, they have still never met in person. So shocking. They don't have trust. They don't have camaraderie. They don't have a great team spirit because they've never figured out how are we going to work together? How are we going to be a team? And as you and I know, we have this idea that trust is this fixed thing. Scott, you and I have trust or man, you do me wrong. And I have X <laughs> you out of my life. Right. We have no more trust. And in point of fact, when we think about those relationships in our life that last a long time in trust gets broken and repaired all the time. And with those relationships that are really important, our parents, our kids, our partners, our spouses, our friends, whoever they are, where the relationship is the strongest is often in those places where there was a break. Sometimes the break is something really little. Actually, literally tonight, I forgot to let my husband know that I have evening events, a reception that I'm going to be going to. It's going to mean I'm going to be getting home late So like, honey, we need to plan on a late dinner if we're going to eat dinner together or you're on your own. We have an agreement that I fill him in on those things. And I did not. I broke trust. And all I will need to do to repair it is to call him up and say, hey, honey, I am so sorry. I own that I did this thing. And here's the reality. Do you want me to bring home dinner? Is there anything you want me to bring that's special? Like, is there something I can do? To, I mean, it's not a big deal, but is there something that I can do to make this a little more awesome? And we forget in these relationships that we are not paying attention to really sort of what the cadence is, because for so long, we've largely been isolated and in our little bubbles. Our amygdala has this illusion like, well, my husband and I were going to get married and then we're going to live happily ever after. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Whoever invented that idea, yeah. these relationships, whether it's your boss or who is accountable to you or a coworker, these relationships take work. Yeah. And we want all of our relationships magically to be holding hands and skipping down the lane. And that's just not how it goes. And we no. forget that we need to invest. Our resources, time, energy, money, the only resources that humans have. We need to invest those resources in having those relationships be rich and be fulfilling and be meaningful. Yeah. It reminds me of, I forget where the story came from, but it's like this kind of old school. So like these people were older, but when they got married, 
the man at the time said, I'm going to tell you that I love you today. And this will be the last time because you should know it after that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is not how it works. Right. But that was his expectation of like right? 50, 60 years of marriage. He only needed to say it once. Like, no. And so going back to awareness, the things we're not paying attention to, like yeah. awareness of other people, there's a maintenance required. And I think actually, especially with our close ones, we believe that, oh, because we're married or because you're my mom or because you're my kid, I don't have to do X as much as I do with other people. That's It's exactly opposite. It is exactly the opposite. Right? Yeah. We need to invest. We need to be aware. We need to be paying attention to the things that are most important to us. So I know just today you have launched a new website and I would love for you to tell us more about it. Cool. Well, my mission in life is to change work from the inside out. And so this website is called changingwork.org. This thing we're building is designed for teams and kind of what we're trying to solve for is engagement. Gallup does these surveys all the time. The latest I saw was only 21% of employees are engaged which is really sad to me, meaning 79% of people are feeling not engaged. That's terrible. Right. (laughs) And so I've worked on some really amazing teams in my career. LinkedIn was a really amazing culture and other places I've been in. And what we're doing here is a curation. Let's call it the greatest hits. Mm. The greatest hits I've seen happen in teams. And the idea is that if a manager and their team can spend 20 minutes every other week for a quarter, that they could make a real difference in their team. And so you can go to the site to learn more, but that's the basic idea is to change work one team at a time, change work from the inside out. And the URL will be in our show notes so that you can find it. And again, it is called work.org. I love it. So as we start to think about wrapping up, is there one thing as you think about changing work from the inside out, as you think about what else is true? Is there some place where you would love to leave our listeners for today? Well, I think it's uncomfortable for a lot of us, but it's when I'm unhappy or I want more out of life, I got to look in the mirror. Super, super uncomfortable because we love to find somebody else who this is their problem. (laughs) Right. It's your fault. I am miserable. (laughs) I got that boss and we have this environment or the commute or like, dude, look in the mirror. So it starts with us. It starts with like my friend, Connie. She could have this approach that she's just a cog in the big wheel of this block, but no, she's like, no, my job is to make everybody light up around me. And so I think it starts, if each one of us could say, first of all, how do I light my own light? How do I shine that light brightly? And if that's all I do, fantastic. That's all any of us need to do. I think our most important mission, each one of us, is our own development. You could call it consciousness, whatever you want to call it, shining your light brighter. That's really what it is for me. And when we do that, when we shine our light brighter, not only do our own problems, we figure out a way to solve them, but we make our world a better place because people react to us in a way different way than if we're going around as a big ball of misery. (laughs) So unfortunately, it starts in the mirror. I love that. And I love that when we're walking around like a big ball of misery, people react in a certain way as much as we would like to. (laughs) We cannot change anybody 
accept ourselves. That's right. We would like to say, all right, my child, all right, my spouse, all right, my partner, all right, my boss, here's what you need to be doing. And if you just did what I said, your world would work out great. And that's not how it goes. And when we show up differently, when we show up in a mind space of curiosity, when we show up in a mind space of enjoyment, when we show up in a mind space of having our own light turned on and being conscious and present, other people start showing up differently. And they may or may not actually be doing anything differently, but they are occurring to us different. And then the longer that goes on, things in fact start to change. Exactly. It starts from the inside out. There's no way around it. All right, folks, get out your mirror. (laughs) Sorry. No, (laughs) it's just, it's so true. One of the things that I know is very true being the age that I am, likely similar to the age that you are looking back on my life, points that have been difficult, the points that have been painful, the points where I've really needed to look in the mirror have been the points of the greatest breakthroughs, have been the points that in the end created the most joy and fulfillment. And yeah, they sucked when I was in the middle of it. Making that first step to look in the mirror and figure out, all right, what am I doing that is contributing to this? That's right. It's never easy. And there's always whatever your thing is, candy, ice cream, I have a potato quote. chips, <laughs> whatever they quote. are, they're always at the end of that journey. Here's the mic drop quote for what you're saying. Bring it. So if you're going to go to hell and back, don't come home empty handed. <laughs> I love it. And that's exactly how it is. When we go through hell, when we go through those hard times, we come back with something or if we're paying attention, if we're paying attention, we have the opportunity to come back with something. Scott, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for sharing with us your wisdom and your experience and your expertise and your humor and your great little pithy, what else is true and look in the mirror and come back with something through through that trip through hell. I've really enjoyed this and I know our listeners have as well. Thanks very much. I am Janine Hamner-Holman and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.
I'm beginning to think I'm beginning